Uh, welcome to the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast. Evan Roberts, Mike Biseglia. It has finally happened. No more hypotheticals. No more talking about part-time players. Kyrie Irving is back full-time. It was a very winding road to get here, but we have arrived. Mike, how are you feeling? Uh, disappointed in the Grizzlies loss. I was hoping for a fantastic day for the Nets, but overall pretty good. And just happy to know that he's going to be playing for this team full time. I had a funny thought in my head. You know, they, the Nets have the heat on Saturday and then the Hornets on Sunday. Watch the Nets say Sunday. It's a rest day for Kyrie on a back to back. and doesn't play. <laughs> right. That would be only fitting. I'm still worried about an injury. <laughs> like the way this season has gone and the way being a net fan has gone. You're always waiting for that next shoe to drop. And now that the Kyrie Irving saga has concluded, you're just waiting for that next injury to deal with. Unfortunately, that's our mentality. Well, every time, I mean, we've talked about this a million times and I've, I talk about this with my dad too all the time. It's like every time you watch Kevin Durant, there's a fear of the way he gets in the air and his yeah. body because he's just so thin. It's just, it's just one big stress fest when he's out there. So I totally get that. No, you're right. Look, look, we're not going to spend too much time on the mandate. Uh, we have discussed that. I certainly have with Craig on the radio. The bottom line, it's changed, whether it's Steve Cohen, whether it's the Yankees. It really doesn't freaking matter. The only thing I want to go back on is when we previewed this season, I asked you to predict but me and you when this thing would end, if this thing would end. And you had predicted December. I forgot what I predicted. All I know is that I had confidence the mandate would change until about three weeks ago. So I'm not going to lie and say I was always confident. I was confident early in the season that we would get to the spring. Uh, the numbers would be down concerning the virus. And eventually they would start lifting these mandates. But to me, that Sunday afternoon, which still haunts me, even though I've got to get over it, that Sunday afternoon where we get the news, keys to the city have been lifted. And you and I are texting each other, assuming, oh, my God, it finally happened. Kyrie's back. And then that son of a bitch, Shams. And he, I'm just killing the messenger here. He's done nothing wrong. Right. Shams tweets out, oh, wait a second. There's a different mandate. Kyrie can't play. I think that was such a kick in the balls that, to me, from that moment on, my confidence was shot that this day would ever come. Yeah, I don't know if I, I, I think you definitely had a more bleak view of it. I did think something would change and that it would go. And it, it was almost for, for me looking at this, it was just and I, I've been on the record saying this. It was just rolling things back and doing one part at a time. So it wasn't ripping the bandaid off all at once. So it, the blow for the, the, the political pushback wouldn't feel as as difficult. I think it may have backfired. But that was the idea was let's do this part, then we'll do that part, and then we'll do the next stage and we'll get there just so politically it could work. So I did think eventually it would get to this point. Now, I don't know. I mean, I know the Yankee Met thing put a whole different wrinkle in it and no definitely doubt. pushed it forward. Uh, and as you, you know, you kind of you, you broke um, eventually it had to get to this. And if the Yankees and Mets stepped in, it became a bigger thing than just, you know, one basketball player. You're, you're talking about two iconic franchises in a city that loves its baseball. Well, it's funny. In terms of that a week ago, when we found out, hey, the Mets and Yankees are involved in this, too. I'll take you through my thinking. I'll be honest with you. I was texting in the morning with somebody else. So I don't want to name because I don't think he wants to be involved in this too much. But somebody else who's a big Net fan. And I started asking him, like, 
hey, how can the Mets and Yankees go in the locker rooms? That was my mindset. My mindset was, how were they allowed in the locker room? This was on the heels of Kyrie Irving obviously being fine for being in the locker room during that Nets-Knicks game where he's not allowed to play, but he's allowed to be in the building. And, and I swear, what I was thinking to myself was, you know what? F everybody. F the Mets, F the Yankees. And I'm a diehard Mets fan saying this. If we are going to have these insane rules against Kyrie Irving, I want to bring everybody down. That was my mindset, thinking if we bring everyone down, then finally there'll be change. Because for whatever reason, they were out to get Kyrie Irving. I think that was clear for a while. So when I started bringing up and you know, eventually we called New York City and got in touch with Major League Baseball to get more clarity on it. To me, my evil mindset, bro, was if they're going to F Kyrie, I want everyone else going down with them. I'm sorry. This can't just be it's only Kyrie Irving because we live in a country. We live in a society where there are plenty of people who have decided not to get vaccinated. I have family members who have decided not to get vaccinated. And so obviously there are going to be Mets and Yankees. And let's bring them all down. Sorry, this can't just be about Kyrie Irving. So I remember in the morning, uh, that was my mindset. And there's no doubt that the Mets and Yankees being affected by this clearly brought about that change. And now for us as Net fans, it doesn't matter how. It doesn't matter why. What matters is that the excuses are gone. Like, that's my mindset now as a Net fan. Now we got to win. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a difficult road, especially because the odds are still very likely that they're going to be in this playing tournament. But if Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are on the floor, despite every other issue we may discuss over the course of this podcast and over the next few weeks, Seth Curry's ankle, the uncertainty around Ben Simmons, LaMarcus Aldridge, whatever, Patty Mills sucking, whatever you want to come up with. Oh, Steve Nash's obsession with James Johnson. We'll get to all that. Despite all of that, they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Let's win. No more excuses. At least as a Nets fan now, you feel like there's a little bit of hope that's been given to you. And, and realistically, if he, if Kyrie Irving was a part-time player, there was no shot that this team had a chance to win a championship. And it's still an extremely difficult task considering the circumstances and considering where this team is with injuries and the bad luck that it's had. But Kyrie Irving is back. And if at least you can now just put your head to the pillow and go, there is a chance. There is a feeling of hope that this team can win. And we've only seen Kyrie and Durant, what, I'm playing eight games together as teammates this year? It almost felt like it was it was a dream. Now it's, it's a, okay, Kyrie's going to be there every day for this team moving forward. And at least you have a sense of hope. You have a, a feeling that, yes, this season has been garbage. This has been a major disappointment. This team started with James Harden, and now we're in a completely different era with the Nets basketball. But at least, at least there is the chance when Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are on the court that you can win a championship. And I was thinking about this on my jog today when I was exercising. And I was thinking about the Milwaukee series when it was Durant, James Harden that wasn't himself, and then this other group of guys assembled that weren't playing well. And he brought this team to the brink of defeating the Bucs. And in my head, I was saying, man, this roster is better than last year's playoff roster when they were playing the Bucs. I could see Durant in the playoffs pulling it off. At least it's now possible with Kyrie there. Oh, no, they, they have a better roster. And it's funny. You think back to the game the other night against Memphis, which 
I agree with you. It was a massive disappointment because that had a chance to be, oh, what an iconic day. Kyrie's birthday. The mandate's about to be lifted. A quality win against a really good Grizzly team, which we could do a whole podcast on. Uh, I'm still depressed they didn't draft Desmond Bain. That was the one guy in the 2020 draft I looked at and said, boy, Desmond Bain would fit this team well. They obviously passed on him. Uh, they drafted Sadiq Bay. They traded him for Landry Shamit, whatever. But you look back to that game against Philadelphia. That's what this can be. You know, the game against Memphis was all about Durant and all about Irving, and they both had monster offensive performances. But everything else sucked. Their defense sucked. They got nothing from their bench. They really got nothing from anybody outside of the two superstars. The game against Philadelphia, which was a, uh, we're on a podcast, so I'm going to say it this way, was a masturbation-worthy game. Is that is that a fair uh, description of the game against the Sixers? Well, you have to go in more detail. Like you're saying, after the game, you'd be like, "Hey, you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna I'm gonna go rub one out from that." Is that what you're no, telling me? I'm saying the entire game was a masturbatory. I game. feel you. Okay. I mean, All right. I need clarity there. Thank but, you. But think back to that game. Okay, we dominated Philadelphia, and ask yourself why was Kevin Durant Superman? I mean, he was locked in early, no doubt. But it wasn't like an iconic Durant performance. He wasn't taking 35 shots. I think he was 10 for 18 that day and scored 30 or whatever it was. Same with Kyrie Irving. Like Kyrie had an average game. They won because defensively they were locked down because Nicholas Claxton did a brilliant job against Joel Embiid because they make James Harden quit on the floor because they forced 18 turnovers and because guys outside of the superstars stepped up. Seth Curry was on a mission. Patty Mills made his shots. Even James Johnson played well. And I mentioned earlier with Nicholas Claxton. That's what we can be. And that doesn't include Ben Simmons, who I can't expect anything from. So the other night against Memphis was, yes, ridiculous performances by KD and Kyrie. But that's not the fantasy. The fantasy is the March 10th game against Philadelphia, where you saw those other pieces that you described as better than what the Nets had a year ago. On paper, it is. And that's what they can be. And that's the kind of game that makes you think, holy crap, if they can really get this thing clicking, they can be unbeatable. Yeah, the Grizzlies lost to me as disappointing. It felt more like your typical bad. It was like a regular bad loss in the NBA season where your superstars played well. You're on the road. The Grizzlies had their thing going on. No John Morant but they still got it done. The role players for the Grizzlies were incredible. They were hitting threes early in the game and late in the game, and it was just a loss. And it's going to happen in the course of an NBA season when you're playing the two seed in the West, you lose games. Uh, the problem is for the Nets, they're fighting for their playoffs lives. And when you only have 10 games left in the regular season, you got to accumulate wins. And that's why it stung a lot. But you're right to the point of when you saw them versus the Sixers, it was Seth Curry hitting three, dagger three after dagger three, the turnovers, the dunks in transition, the timely baskets from the Nets, Kyrie Irving with that great shot to end the first quarter, Kevin Durant with the crossover dunk, and it was the momentum shifting plays, but they got effort from everybody. And this Grizzlies loss, it was the Bruce Brown was okay, but not as good as he has been. And they did not get the performances from everybody else that they did in that. And that's why you have that kind of loss. But yeah, that sticks with you, that Sixers feeling where you know it's in them and you know it's there. Uh, Patty Mills against me. I don't know what the hell has gone on with him. He, he has just gone so south. Uh, that would worry me. And then to your point about Ben Simmons, at this point, it's like you can't you, you have to just go in thinking he won't be there. But in net fashion, like how things change, 
April 6th or April 4th or wherever, when they're playing against the Cavs, they'll say Ben Simmons is here. Uh, but what he'll be if he comes back is an impossible task to even to predict and have any oh. kind of idea because he's such a strange player to begin with. And we've never seen him with this team. I mean, Ben Simmons' next game is going to be his first game Crazy. as a Brooklyn Net. So when we were waiting on health last year, we had seen glimpses of what the big three could look like. We had seen a little bit of Harden, Durant, and Irving. So when we were waiting for them to all be healthy, we had a thought of what it would look like in our head. We have no thought on what this is going to look like. And look, is it possible Ben Simmons comes back? Sure. I mean, could this epidural have worked for his back? I, I guess. I'm no doctor. It's just tough to really think about him. To me, it's about Seth Curry's health. It's about... LaMarcus Aldridge. I thought they missed LaMarcus in the game against Memphis. One thing about him, as slow as he may be, as limited now as he may be defensively, even though he has his moments, he can give them instant offense. I mean, he, he really can. Uh, you can drop the ball down low to LaMarcus and let him make his moves. You know, LaMarcus can score. LaMarcus can beat you on the offensive glass. Like, LaMarcus is a weapon, and so they missed him against Memphis, clearly, as they got destroyed on the glass. They miss Seth Curry immensely. I mean, we, we've said this together, I think, on this podcast. Seth Curry is the most important guy in that trade, especially with Joe Harris not coming back and especially with Patty Mills sucking right now. I mean, Seth Curry's yeah. importance is vital, so they've got to be careful with him. I'm not saying you got to rush him back. Obviously, these games matter, but what matters even more is that when you play in these play-in games or postseason games, that you have a healthy Seth Curry. And it's a worry because he even said the other day, this ankle's not going to get better. He's just going to have to manage through it. So even though Steve Nash said, oh, I'm confident, it's a different part of the ankle, I, I totally get why they need to be careful. But, dude, he is so freaking important to where they need to go. Yeah, it's wild, too, because they dealt James Harden, and I think for Net fans now, he's a distant memory, and you're, you're rooting for the Sixers to lose, but you're not, you're not, you don't care anymore. But you realize when you make that trade, the centerpiece of this deal, of course, is Ben Simmons because he is the 25-year-old maxed-out contract guy that's a star player who's gone through all of this crap, but he's the part of the trade. And I think most Net fans, you expressed it, I'm expressing it, it's like he's not even part of the deal and you're worried about Seth Curry's health because you need his outside shooting, you need his passing, you need what he brings to this team. And then you think about Andre Drummond and how much of a difference when he is on, he has helped on the defensive glass, just getting rebounds. He's even shown a couple of nice, decent post moves to score in the paint. And yeah, it, it's, it's like Ben Simmons wasn't even part of that trade. And it's just, it's so strange that the Nets traded James Harden. And I think from adding Andre Drummond and Seth Curry, I feel just good about that considering where we were before and just anything from Ben Simmons would, would be such a luxury and it would be so bizarre watching this game. All of a sudden, you, you know, here we are watching the Nets versus, I don't know, pick your team at the end of the season, the Pacers. And here comes Ben Simmons in like, is he just going to get 15 to 20 minutes and take the role of James Johnson away? <laughs> I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be bizarre. Yeah. It, I, I don't know why I'm just not even picturing it. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. And maybe it's a coping mechanism. You don't want to build yourself up to be let down or, or maybe it's what I said earlier that we've never seen him play with this team. So it's easier to not imagine something we've just never seen, but I'll add to what you said. They got Seth Curry. They got Andre Drummond in the Harden trade. And they also unlock Bruce Brown. 
So for whatever reason, Bruce Brown is a different player. He's a guy playing with a lot more confidence. We know about the energy he brings defensively. He's gained a lot of confidence in his shot. So I give, I guess, Kyle Korver a lot of credit for unlocking that. So when you analyze what they got in the James Harden trade, besides an offense that plays at a much different tempo, they've also unlocked Bruce Brown along with Seth Curry and Andre Drummond. We can't forget that. Yeah, his besides the outside shot that he's been knocking down, his free throw percentage, I'd love to figure that out because he's knocking down free throws now at a much higher rate and his ability to finish in the paint and get to the basket and finish strong. That was such an issue for him early in the season where the floater wasn't going down from five to eight feet out. He was driving to the basket and was missing layups left and right. Now he's gliding to the basket, dunking, getting and ones. I mean, it's remarkable the turnaround from him that he has displayed and sports is a mental game, man. And I really believe that when James Harden left the nets and was traded out, that he was able to relax and get comfortable. And then from there, his confidence has just taken off. And he has been such a difference maker for this team. The nets with Brown Durant and Claxton defensively doesn't happen as much last night, but they have been so good as a trio together. Uh, yeah, man, it, it's, it's great to see the Bruce Brown of last year come back because it was, I, I've never seen, I should say I've never seen, just to see a guy that was nothing to expect him from. Wow, Bruce Brown's a key player. We need this guy to, right. oh my goodness gracious, he stinks to, oh boy, he's going to make some money with a contract. It's yeah. Like a weird back and forth. <laughs> yeah. That's something we're going to have to address during the offseason. The offseason is going to be really, really interesting for what this team does, but hopefully that's months from now. That's the big hope. You know, what annoyed me, that game against Utah was a really, really good win, and hopefully it's the last game we ever play without Kyrie Irving, assuming he could stay healthy. But what added to that game against Utah was what Blake Griffin did. You know, Blake Griffin is a guy I, I still really like, even though he's been buried on the depth chart. We kind of knew after the Andre Drummond trade that he's not going to get a lot. He's not going to get a, a big chance to play. I mean, between Drummond and Claxton, who's back out of the doghouse and LaMarcus, when he's healthy, there just isn't burn for Blake Griffin. And I understand that as much as he can actually add to this team when he does hit his outside shot, which he's done after an abysmal start. And of course, what he can do in taking charges, the hustle plays that he has. I love Blake, but I get why his role has been limited. What annoys me is that he played so well against Utah that he needs to be rewarded by at least getting burned the next game against Memphis. And even though Andre Drummond's back, and even though you still want to play Nick, why not play him at the four? We've seen Steve Nash do it before. James Johnson has sucked at times. It, it sort of annoyed me because you could see how upset Blake is that he doesn't play, which he's a competitor. He's a former all-star. I get why that bothers him. I like rewarding people when they do something well. I like saying, hey, you know what? You played your ass off for us when we needed you against Utah. We're going to find a way to give you a chance to contribute. And so I don't know what his role is moving forward, especially the healthier this team is. But I don't know, man. I mean, Blake played so well against Utah. How about in the fourth quarter when they're up by 18? Blake Griffin's doing like Superman jumps in the air to try to get a loose ball. He's playing like it's his career on the line, which maybe it is. So I don't know, man. I wanted Blake to get more of a burn against Memphis. I do think it helps for Blake that he's only playing once every couple of weeks. So when he does come in, he's got a ton of energy. If he's going to play 10 to 15 minutes. 
So I'm not surprised by that because this is it, Blake. You're out here. He's going to give his all in his in his effort. Uh, and the more and more I get to, you know, see Blake Griffin, I know that's his character and that's the kind of guy he is. I'm kind of just confused why Steve Nash has been so stubborn to play James Johnson and not give Blake the minutes. I, I guess he likes his ball handling ability, his defense to be kind of like an enforcer type guy, like where he gives hard fouls. But with the circumstance where James Johnson couldn't hit a shot, he was turning the ball over. He had that one turnover that just drove me nuts. Oh. And the Nets were, I, I don't remember exactly what it was. We gave up the two. dunk. He gave up, up the layup or dunk. Yeah, they were up two to make it four. This was like third-ish to fourth quarter, end of third. And he just threw it away. It was just like, just giving away points here. That drove me nuts. I, I'll ask you then, what do you think Steve Nash's obsession is with James Johnson to give him the minutes and feeling, because he clearly feels comfortable with him. He was playing point guard. What, what do you think it is that he likes him so much that he wouldn't even consider Blake after the he loves balance? his ball handling skills? I mean, he does. How many times have we seen James Johnson take the ball across the timeline? I think he just feels he fits better. Uh, at this point in this NBA, is Blake Griffin more of a five than a four? Yeah. And I think that's the inherent problem. I mean, it's not ideal when Blake's out there at the four. It's not ideal when LaMarcus and Blake are on the floor at the same time. So I think it's fit more than anything else. But yeah. even with that said, I the guy just played his ass off the game before. I don't know. It's kind of like when a guy goes, a bench player in baseball goes three for three. I don't want to sit him the next day. I want to tell the guy, hey, you played great. I'm going to give you another game. It doesn't mean you're permanently back in the rotation. It just means you deserve another chance to be out there, especially when they were down early in this game and Johnson wasn't playing well. Right. It just seemed like it made sense. But look, I don't want to harp on the Memphis game. I think the Grizzlies are, I mean, dude, you fired off the tweet that Capstraw put out there. I think you retweeted it or sent it to me, which yeah. I was unaware of. I mean, they're 14 and two, 14 and three without Ja. And it reminded me, early in the season, John Morant missed a bunch of time. And the Grizzlies were playing really, really well, especially defensively. And when Ja came back, there was a little bit of an issue, a controversy where Ja was like, ah, oh, you know, people were telling me they didn't miss me. You know, and the Grizzlies are a better defensive team when he's not out there. So I think that there's this natural assumption, oh, the Grizzlies' best player, one of the young superstars isn't playing. They're patsies. They're easy to beat. People were reacting to the betting line that way. How are the Nets only one-point favorites? This doesn't make any sense. Well, watch them. Then <laughs> you'll see why it makes sense. They're a good, feisty team. And for whatever reason, even though it's national TV, even though it's Memphis, they didn't have the look in their eyes that they had against Philadelphia, that defensive intensity from oh. start to finish where they wanted to take their souls. They didn't have that the other night against Memphis. No, and the Nets have started slow in a lot of games. I mean, the Portland game in particular was awful oh. the way that game started, and the Nets had to rally late. And Kevin Durant talked about in the postgame after the Utah win. He said, we wanted to come out with some urgency. We wanted to play well, which they did. Obviously, they pulled away, and they held on, and they beat Utah. And, yeah, you get to Memphis, and it wasn't – the first quarter was okay, but that second quarter just got out of hand. And then the third quarter, they woke up again and they need to, with nine games left and they're fighting to make the playoffs, I would hope, knock on wood, that they come out with this urgency feeling and not like, we're really good, we can coast because we're not talking about like, oh, we're the two seed, do we want to play Cleveland in the first round or Toronto? In the No, they're, they're only one up on Charlotte. 
they need wins. They got to come yeah. out and kick ass. Like this is there's yeah. no more. There's no wiggle room left. It's no, you're that is you're, gone. You're you're right. And I think that's something that's almost forgotten in the euphoria of Kyrie being full time. Their road to the real postseason, the real one you know, where they play a best of seven series. It's rocky. I mean, it doesn't mean they're going to lose in the play-in tournament, but the fact that they're going to be in a play-in tournament, and it's very, very likely, it's just math. When you look at the way the East is set up right now, they're going to have to play maybe one, maybe two stressful games because, look, here's the simple math. The Toronto Raptors defeated the Cleveland Cavaliers on Thursday night, and I think that's a good thing. So now they both have 41 and 32 records, and I think Toronto has the tiebreak which means, okay, season ends today. Nets against Cleveland in Cleveland playing game. If the Nets lose, they get a second shot. But if you're in that 9-10 game, you have to win twice. It's not, okay, you got two opportunities to get in, in which, believe it or not, this discussion will happen if the Nets are in the 7-8 game. There will be a discussion of, well, maybe they're better off losing the 7-8 game. No. (laughs) And then facing Miami in the first round. You know, Jimmy Butler wants to fight his coach. Ah, that's a better matchup. Bro, yeah. I'm not saying it, but you know there are going to be some Net fans I, I discussing that. that. Oh, that's the, I mean, that's the worst. You get in the playoffs, you take your chances. You don't lose and then put yourself in a one-game situation where, let's say Kyrie hurt, tweaks his ankle or Kevin Durant goes out, and then the season is over. And trust me, I've ran that replay in my head. No, you just... You just have to get in. You know, you hope it's Cleveland because of the – you hope they're playing Cleveland in a plan just because of the um, – Kyrie couldn't play in Toronto and the mandate there and everything. So that's what you hope for. And then you start thinking of the storylines of Kyrie returning to Cleveland, the and Jared Allen now trying to get some revenge, and Karis LeVert trying to get some revenge. I mean, it would just – I mean, it would just – it would be – it would be surreal – to see the Nets in a playing game going up against Jared Allen and Karis Levert, the whole thought of that is just wild. You know but what? I would take it's, it over Toronto. Well, that that's the thing. I mean, we we fit. We almost feel like, oh, we got past this vaccine mandate thing. Except if you mm. play the Toronto Raptors in Toronto, it's the same thing the Yankees are going to have to deal with in May. Yeah, they could all play home games if you're unvaccinated, except you're not playing the Toronto Blue Jays, and that's a very different issue, which I'm sure Yankee fans will discuss. So. Here's the math on this whole thing to get to the home game being in your building. And if that's the point, then it doesn't matter if it's the Raptors or Cleveland Cavaliers, because if the game's in Brooklyn, Kyrie's able to play, they're going to have to make up three games on Cleveland, three games on Toronto. The tiebreaker with Toronto still up in the air because they split the season series. They would have the season series against Cleveland and they have a head to head game against Cleveland. So Three games back, if they can beat them on that final Friday night of the year, it's really finding a way to make up two games in the standings. That That's really what it comes down to. And it just doesn't leave you with much margin for error. Like, the Nets don't have a lot more games that you can look at and say, you can lose that one. And really, the next two games coming up in Miami against the Heat and then the Sunday game against Charlotte's monumental because – Instead of just catching Toronto or Cleveland, like you said, you're trying to make sure Charlotte doesn't catch you. Well, they've split the two games they've played. So this third game on Sunday, Kyrie's first game in Brooklyn, is not only for the season series, but it could be for Charlotte to basically overtake the Nets. So I got to tell you, these next two games in Miami, home against Charlotte on a back-to-back, 
These are monumental. Then they have a game against the Milwaukee Bucks, which you figure they're looking for revenge. The rest of their schedule is not that crazy. They do play Atlanta, which could be a team you deal in the play-in tournament. They've got another game against the Knicks, but I think we feel better about that knowing Durant and Kyrie are out there. And I mentioned that Friday night game against Cleveland. So it's not a daunting schedule, but dude, three of the next four games, they are huge, especially the next two against Miami and against Charlotte. Yeah, they're fighting for their playoff lives. I mean, as much as we did talk about, we wanted this scenario of the play-in game. Charlotte's right there, and that's why, you know, you're scoreboard watching, and thank God the Knicks defeated the Hornets, or else these teams are tied. So Charlotte got that loss. You feel good still just being that one game up, but every night is so stressful. And at this point, you know, it feels like everything's a kind of a playoff matchup because of where they are in the standings. And thank goodness Kyrie Irving's out here for this team full-time. But it's... It's not been ideal. It's been the season from hell. There's been so many up and downs. And now here we are at the very end of it. And this is what we're paying for with Kevin Durant was being out all those games is now we're in this situation. And, and thank God they've gone six and two over the last eight because Charlotte's winning basketball games. Atlanta had a bad loss versus the Pistons, but they're winning more basketball games. You know, if the Nets were just kind of teetering around 500 since Durant's back. They're probably the nine or 10 seed now, but thank God they're winning games. So at least they're propelling themselves to be in the seven, eight matchup. Oh, well, but man, it's, it's scary. There's, there's no guarantees. And that's why this season could go in so many different directions. And I wouldn't be surprised if they lost in the plan or made their way to the NBA finals and anything in between. It's that much of a wild card. I think one huge positive now is that we had a doomsday scenario of, play the Raptors in Toronto, no Kyrie, lose that game, go to Brooklyn without Kyrie. Like, there was a chance that they could play none of the playing games without Kyrie. So at least we know, all right, they would have to lose with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. That That's the only way they would miss the real postseason. So it does make things feel a little bit better. I'm with you. I'm not caring once they're in the playoffs about who they face. Obviously, there are certain teams I'd be more confident about than others, but I'm not a believer in. Yeah, I'll, I'll take my chances in the the second play-in game because I want to play Miami. You know, right now I think the one team I don't I don't want to say the one team, but the team that probably scares me the most. I don't know if you agree with me on this. Is Milwaukee? I agree. They're my one. There's Milwaukee's there's one your that, one. I thought you were going to say Boston because the they're my they, two. They're my two. Oh, they're your two. Yeah, so you would rank. Two. You would rank in terms of teams that you are afraid may be too strong, but teams that you're, you're fearful of. Milwaukee won Boston too. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we lived it last year versus the Bucks. I saw it. Uh, I know the injury issues, but seeing that, you know, they don't care. The confidence wise, they'll be fine. This is the Bucks. Them with all their guys together after seeing that last year. They're still my one. And then the Celtics, at two, I mean, they're, they're like 23 and three in their last 26 games. They are playing out of their minds. Like the Celtics are real. I mean, the Celtics have a legit chance to get to the NBA finals right now. They're cohesive. Jason Tatum is never brought up in these MVP conversations. And I'm thinking to myself, why is he not an MVP? The Celtics don't lose. And they're on the verge of being the one seed in the East. Uh, this, and, and you know, the Kyrie factor going back and forth. They'd love to give it to him. Uh, yeah, the the Celtics. I think, I think it's the it's it's Milwaukee, Boston, and then I would I, to me Miami and Philly are 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 big step back. Yeah, no, I I actually agree with you, and it's it's crazy because 
Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, and Miami are all so close. They're separated by a game and a half in the standings, two in the loss column. I'm not sure what the tiebreakers say, but the point is the Nets could face anybody. I mean, any of those teams could be the 2-7 matchup or potentially the 1-8 matchup. We, we have absolutely no idea. I will make you this prediction. Yes. I don't know why. I don't know how, but I believe in symmetry. I am convinced that the Nets will play the Celtics in the first round of the playoffs, that we are going to get a rematch from a year ago. And I know that's one of the teams you don't want to play it. I, I respect it and I understand it. I was in Boston a few Sundays ago and they could not stop Jason Tatum. But I don't know why. It, it just feels like we're going to get a rematch of last year with certainly a different expectation going into that postseason series. The idea of playing Philly right out of the gate is sort of intriguing to me. Just to have that hell on earth, you know, Super Bowl feel, Armageddon, Net yeah. Sixers, Harden's back in Brooklyn, Ben potentially is back in Philly, and let's just get that crap out of the way, you know? Yeah, well, I, I, two parts. I want to say one thing, but first I have a question for you. Which player in the Eastern Conference do you fear the most in a series to go up against? Ah. Uh... So based on the respect I have for him off of last year and the fact that he finally was able to break through, it would be honest. I think it would be crazy not to say honest, but outside of that, it's not Joe and Lambeed. I think it's Jason Tatum to yep. your point. Um, he was, and look, maybe it's a little recency bias. We saw the Nets slow down to a degree, Joe Embiid. We saw Nick Claxton do a great job against him. They didn't shut him down by any stretch, but they frustrated him. We saw Jason Tatum do whatever he wanted in Boston a few weeks ago. So I think my respect meter leans towards Giannis because, look, it was my fear last year. Giannis and the Bucs are going to break through, you know, and it's going to be through the Nets and they're going to finally break through and be champions. And they did, even though Giannis's best moments may not have necessarily been against our team in that round. Eventually, he showed his greatness. So the respect meter says Giannis, but in terms of the way they're playing right now, it's Tatum. I'd agree with that completely. And then the other point I want to make, to me, the Nets, I feel like if they get through the first round, whoever it's going to be, it's going to be a top-tier team if they're fortunate enough to get there. To me, once they get through like the first round, this team would be connected and then would make its way to the finals. Like If, Dur if Durant and Kyrie are, are grooving and you got Ben Simmons back and you're able to get through the Celtics, the Heat, at that point... The first set round, second round, and the third round are all going to be the same level of competition. I think that would be essentially their regular season getting through that, and that would be their time to gel. And if they could sustain a team like the Celtics that have been cohesive all year and beat them without having any kind of cohesive roster themselves the whole season, then I'm like, the Nets are going to make it. Yeah, if they can get through that. It, it's, a, it's a great point. It really is. And I, I don't know if we'll ever get to see that, but if they get through the first round, that means they have played a hard-fought five-game, six-game, seven-game series, and they've probably done it with the chemistry being developed. Because, look, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, they're still relatively new. Even Kyrie Irving and Patty Mills. Like, how many games have they played together? Goran sure. Dragic. Like, this is still a very, very new team. And that's always been my concern. Like, can they develop that chemistry, especially against battle-tough teams, teams that have played together all year? I agree. I think the longer they're around, the more dangerous that they get. Um, I agree. I think my confidence would go up every round, which is usually not the case. Usually I get more nervous or more negative 
as things go on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I do. I do agree. It's just, can they get there? Because look at the road they're going to have to go through. It does help that Durant and Irving, assuming they get to the playoffs healthy, because I always have to say that knock on wood, they have not played nearly as many games as they could have. And that is, you know, a sneaky positive that Kyrie Irving should be refreshed. Even Kevin Durant, as many minutes as he's played when he's been out there, he missed a big chunk of the season because of that knee issue. So they should be a, a rested team as they go through this gauntlet, which is very likely just based on the math to have to deal with this play-in game. I mean, it's just, I'd be very surprised if they get hot enough and get enough help to jump up to six, because I've been doing math on this. I honestly think they have to run the table. And I know that sounds nuts, but I really think that they've got to find a way and they've got nine games left. So running the table, I guess, is not that insane. I'm not talking about an 18 game winning streak. They do have some tough opponents. I mentioned Miami Saturday night, the Bucks next Thursday, but just doing the math on this and looking at the schedules, I think they'd have to win all nine games. The remaining games would finish them at 47 and 35. And even then there's no lock that they get, that they avoid the playing tournaments. That's the spot they're in right now. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what happened when Kevin Durant was out for all those couple months because you, they lost all that. They lost all that wiggle room and now they're there. Now they're in this situation. So yeah, if the Nets go nine, no, you know, it's like the Cavs have to go five and four or something like that, which is, not unrealistic. So yeah, it's like, Oh, it's three games with nine left. But when you start to really look at it, you know, Cleveland's going to win basketball games. Toronto's going to win basketball games. And then you're going to keep losing one of these. So there's no margin for error at all. Yeah. That's the, uh, that's the scary thing about this whole thing. But look, here's the overall positive we have to take as net fans, despite all the issues we have faced this season, we now have answered one of the most important questions and that's the availability of Kyrie Irving. That was always the thing that made this almost impossible to overcome. And I remember tweeting that months ago, whether James Harden's on this team or not on this team, the biggest thing facing the Nets is the availability of Kyrie Irving. And at least we now know he's available. I'm excited for Sunday. I'm excited to see him play a game in Brooklyn. Uh, I assume he's going to get a, a huge ovation. I think the craziness of all these mandates has turned him Rightly or wrongly, I think it has. I think it's turned him into a, a sympathetic figure. And so I think he's going to get a great reaction Sunday against Charlotte. And then it's a big game. They got to win these games. And let's go. I mean, this is why they're here. This is why Kevin Durant's here. This is why we trust him. And by the way, I mean, I, I can't put into words how much I love Kevin Durant. And I don't just mean... And this is for us as Net fans. I don't think non-Net fans get it. That's fine. They can all go F off. It's not that he's a great player. It's great that he's a great player. It's fantastic that he's a great player. Kevin Durant has embraced us in such a way that I could never have imagined. Uh, everything he says, you know, between the long-term commitment he's made to talking about the fans, uh, just everything he to, to trolling the Knicks, which I think we always appreciate to trolling the Philadelphia 76er fans. I mean, Kevin Durant is moving up the list as an all-time favorite athlete. I got to tell you. Yeah, it's all he's a net. He braces it. I think when he signed the contract, we were all, we don't know what's going to happen with the injury. We don't know why is he really doing this? And he's been all about being a Brooklyn net. He loves it. Uh, he does because he signed an extension 
Uh, yes, you mentioned he braces the fans. He trolls the Knicks. Um, it's been awesome to see. And he he is a true net. Um, and sometimes I still, I still do have to kind of pinch myself when he's having these epic performances. And I, rightly or wrongly, Evan, like now he makes these ridiculous shots. Like, okay, like the, the three he hit versus the Knicks. Uh, that was big. I'm, I'm escaping on other shots, but it's just, I don't even get like, I get excited, but everything since that Milwaukee series, I'm like, this guy is magic. And it's just, it's just, it's just unbelievable. And I don't mean magic Johns. I just be like, he's truly magic. It's just, I'm like, I, it's just astonishing every time now where you, I'm almost expecting him to make these insane shots. It's been, it's been awesome. And uh, a lot of unfinished business though, of course unfinished business no doubt all right how does this end are we in the seven eight plane or do we drop down to eight nine and who do we play in your mind i think they're the eight seed and i hope it's cleveland but i can't i think they're going to win games and they're going to hold off the nine ten but i can't imagine them jumping to seven definitely not six so um i think they stay at eight we shall see brooklyn basketball podcast you can check out mike mike delivers pod at mike delivers pod on twitter and He's usually beating up his Nick fan friend on the uh, uh, the fair. The uh, I have such a brain lock against your podcast yeah. name. I'm sorry. Yeah, you need a producer to help you with that bad weather fans. Bad weather fans. Yeah. I listened the other Check day, man. You were totally bitch slapping your partner. I mean, pushing his buttons. You basically told him R.J. Barrett sucked. If anyone I wants to hear that, no, you said that. Sucked. For anyone who wants to hear a net fan, just assault a Nick fan, they should listen to the latest edition of the Bad Weather Fans podcast. Mike Baseglia, man, you were just poking him, man. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I was. My my wife listened to that episode and she was like, she felt sympathetic. Um, she's <laughs> like, now I know what it's like when you argue with Mike. It's not fun. <laughs> Thought that was a clever comment. It was very clever. Everybody should download that wherever Thank podcasts are downloaded. It. And, of course, you can check out me and Craig Monday through Friday, 2 o'clock on The Fan. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast.